All right, episode four. Let's do this. Welcome to the Veterinary Business Success Show with me, Dr. Dave Nichol. In each episode, we'll be exploring ideas and subjects that can be used to manage your veterinary practice better. On today's show, I'm joined by co-author of The E-Myth Veterinarian, Dr. Peter Weinstein. Peter is one of the most respected leaders in the profession. He's a veterinarian, a former practice owner, and is the exec director of the Southern California Veterinary Medical Association. Leadership and systems are very much his thing, which I was keen to talk to him about, because it feels like we're at a pivotal moment in the veterinary profession. For years, we've tried to be all things to all people, a strategy born out of a fear of missing out or being litigated against. But is this strategy at the heart of our struggles? Is it the failure to be more intentional about who we are and who we serve that has brought us to this point where a pandemic of burnout is ravaging the workforce? And if so, what can we do to course correct? I'm sure most people know who Dr. Weinstein is, but in case there's anybody who doesn't, and I'm not going to waste too much time talking about all the the veterinary clinical work because there's bloody loads of it, but Peter has successfully run his own veterinary business. Uh, He holds an MBA. So there's much I'm professionally jealous and incredibly, you know, love in the work that Peter has done. But the thing that I'm most in love in his work is his E-Myth Veterinarian book with the revered Michael E. Gerber, and I've got a copy of both his book and the second. It's not the original. It's the E-Myth Revisited that I've got there, which is very well worn. You can see the color of the pages there, right? How long ago that was. And I've actually got one of my famous bits of paper in it where I took notes, things like that. So I'm very honored. I feel very honored to know you, good sir. And I thought we could maybe just mull over what a crazy time this has been with COVID. And in the preamble to this, we were just talking about the impacts on our lives. And maybe I kick off just with an observation that for me, looking at the industry, COVID almost has been like a bit of a perfect storm in that we have a moment where we've seen this massive increase in pet ownership, which is in theory, a good thing, a human-animal bond showing up and people buying lots of pets. In practice, it looks like it couldn't come at a worse time for us because we now have this excess, this abundance of work at a time when people just were struggling to cope with the available volume of work that was there in the first instance. And that the cracks don't look like cracks anymore. They seem in some cases like chasms. I'm really curious as to your thoughts on this from your position as you know you you have the opportunity to step back a bit and view the world from the exec director of the Southern California Veterinary Medical Association and also just your whole veterinary experience interested to see what you're seeing and how the hell did we get here well i'll answer the the first premise first which is the veterinary profession about a year ago was forced to change after millennia of not changing. I mean, we had been conducting our businesses in the same way Noah conducted his going back, um, or your countryman, James Harriet, had been conducting his. Really, the delivery of veterinary services hadn't changed all that much. And then because of a 100 nanometer virus, we were forced to rethink things. Now, looking back, we didn't do a really good job of organizing our practices, delivering veterinary care in a consistent fashion to begin with. And we didn't have the systems in place. 
to deliver veterinary care and services in a consistent fashion. And then all of a sudden, a profession that is hates change, and I, I used to, we would call it glacial in the speed that the veterinary profession changed, had to change. So here we are, already disorganized, already without, you know, reticent to change, being forced to change, to deliver care through curbside, through telephones, through technology, when, you know, for all intents and purposes, bring them in, get them through, get them out and get them home, was the way we did things in the past. So I don't think being busy has been good for business. I think being busy has had a positive impact on revenue, but not a positive impact on relationships, on relationships with clients, on relationships with staff, on relationship with ourselves, because we are still very uncomfortable in how we're doing things. And really, I did a talk last week where we are facing an option as a profession. We can rebound to where we were last February. We can rebuild to try to accommodate a little bit of what we were and what we are, or we can reimagine and try to think of where we need to go in the future because we've already had to change so much. Why not continue to make the changes that are necessary to meet the demands of what has become an extremely demanding consumer experience these days. That's just some foundational thought, but honestly, we weren't on a stable work experience in the past. Our foundation, our cement was quicksand going into the pandemic. And I think what we've learned is we really do need to start to tighten up that cement going forward if we're going to be able to survive. I've heard multiple instances of, uh, I'm going to coin a new term, cultural collapse disorder or team collapse disorder and experienced it to a certain extent as well where you're hearing of practices where a domino falls and then the whole lot falls and practices are being pushed into you know they were in a state of avoidance crisis in any case you know it's like all the cats that don't like each other that just don't make eye contact and sort of skulk slowly around each other's territory and not really engaging suddenly it felt like the crisis just pushed everything together and there was no option like any little thing went under a magnifying glass and suddenly suddenly the tension just became unbearable as people's sense of certainty and connection and freedom just evaporated overnight and all the little things suddenly came out and became big things and just this sort of you know I just thought of this sort of like the bee with the, the colony collapse disorder. It's the hive. It's the cultural collapse disorder that's starting to see instances of it popping up more and more. And it seems like a damaging, like a horrifically damaging thing. I also came across the statistic, and I think it was the AVMA from their State of the Nation, and I saw it. I saw that the, the percentage of active veterinarians is shrinking by something like 4.7% or something like 5% a year in the US. That's a figure I'd like to, I like the fact you're frowning at that a little bit. So I'd like like to invite you to challenge that that figure. And if you've got a sense of where are we in terms of numbers, your available resource, what is working right now? 
what is going to hell in a handcart right now? Well, there's a lot of moving parts in that conversation. Let me address the cultural collapse disorder first, because the culture in a practice is defined by the leadership. And we are dealing with, in the United States, and, and I would say globally, four concurrent pandemics, a perfect storm of pandemics. We, of course, have the virus. And in conjunction with the virus, we've been dealing with significant economic pandemics. The third one in the United States, and, and I believe it's global, is a racial pandemic. And not just in the veterinary profession, but globally, we have a lack of leadership pandemic. And I would suggest that a lot of the cultural collapse disorder is because, for the most part, veterinary practices are leaderless. They are populated with people performing tasks to accomplish an outcome that is pretty much routine every day. And the leader's goal is to just get them through the day. I, I have used the trailer for Groundhog's Day as a metaphor for the veterinary profession. Get up, go about your day, go to sleep. Get up, go about your day, go to sleep. Get up, go about your day, go to sleep. And I think you've probably heard me say this, you know, what's the difference between a grave and a rut? The depth and how long you're in it. Well, we were pushed out of the rut a year ago, but we weren't prepared for it. And I think a lot of what you're talking about is a lack of leadership. So those practices who had strong leaders, whether they're the veterinary leaders, whether they're practice managers, certified veterinary practice managers or administrators, those practices have been able to deal with the crisis and not deal with the pathological fractures that the crisis has occurred. You know, you were talking about avoidance crisis and all of these different things, and you were like getting into psychology, and it's like, that's outside of my comfort zone. But what I've seen is a business that already had micro fractures was those fractures were being expanded because the tension and the torque being put on the people within the practice wasn't being relieved. So the leaders were not helping to relieve the tension. And as a result, those micro fractures were getting worse. I think that that has led to a lot of the different things that we were dealing with. And there's this perception, and there was a perception going in to the, the pandemic, and it is exacerbated by the pandemic that there was a shortage of veterinarians. In my humble opinion, and for those of you who are listening, feel free to slap your phone or computer and pretend it's me. I think we don't have a lack of veterinarians. I think we have a lack of efficient systems within our practice, and we don't effectively and efficiently leverage our staff to do everything that they can do. And as a result, doctors end up doing non-doctor tasks when, for all intents and purposes, a 30-minute exam room could really be 10 minutes of doctor time and 20 minutes of staff time. And most of what happens in the treatment area outside of those things mandated by law could be done by staff. So I really think we really need to rethink how we utilize and leverage our staff to be able to be more productive, more profitable. And I would argue adding two technicians and one can be licensed, one can be unlicensed. They could both be unlicensed adding a more skilled, trained technical staff is probably more important than adding another doctor. So hate me for that. 
I think you're you're on something for sure. I mean, I know that if I go into practice and I have four technicians and a reception cover, that I could do the same work as three doctors just through an efficiency thing because you're not standing around waiting. You've got these and, – and everybody in it's going to be happier because they are doing – they're all contributing to something much bigger. You know, they're all important pieces. They're not just standing there trying to stay awake. It was the anesthesia description. It's the half – Half asleep, being ha- what being monitored by the half awake, watching the half weight, yeah. half butcher, the half uh, yeah, all of that. I don't know, I butchered that, but you get the idea. Okay, two follow up questions. Then the first one is around systems, and for me, you're like the systems guy. Like you're the guy I rate above all else in, in thinking systems and practices. So I think that's a really cool place for us to dig into. But before we get into that. I just want to pick up on the the tension thing and the leaders not relieving the tension. What are the main sources of tension and what are the antidotes to those sources of tension that you would prescribe? I think the sources of tension are, I think the clients are a source of tension. The numbers that we talk about, Dave, are increases in revenue, but the numbers are not increases the number of transactions. So we're actually seeing fewer people making more money and probably seeing maybe sicker patients because they're coming in sooner because clients are at home and and a variety of different things. What that means to me is that the average client visits going up to be generating that revenue. And I think that stress of also having that communication with clients about the cost of care becomes a moving part. I think the fact that clients are waiting in their car. Now, I'm in Southern California. It is currently 64 degrees at 10 a.m. You won't see 64 until July, which is what, probably 25 degrees Celsius. I'm not Um, sure what 64 is, yeah. (laughs) So think about New England. Think about the UK Mm -hmm. where people are sitting in their cars cold or running their heater while waiting. I was talking to a a colleague or had a colleague on a talk the other day where he was waiting for four and a half hours. He's not a veterinarian, but he he supports the profession. Four and a half hours in the parking lot waiting for his dog. Okay. Now, nobody told him to go home, which he probably could have. And so we've got clients who are upset by costs because they can't come in. And I've gotten emails as an executive director complaining that it's our fault, the association's fault, that patients and clients can't go into veterinary hospitals. And I said, well, unless we're the Department of Public Health, no, that's not the case. All we do is is share information and best practices, and the practices are trying to protect their staff. So clients are an issue. You got a freaking disease that kills you. That's an issue. I don't care what PPE is. They're not wearing a hazmat suit. And by the way, a mask on your chin is like a jock strap. It's not protecting anything. Okay, and and that's where we find is clients sitting in their car with their mask on their chin. We have staff members that wear their masks every place where they where they're supposed to, but supposed to they go out on weekends and they bring disease back in. I mean, I don't know what the number of hospitals in the UK that's had to close because of the pandemic, but we've had our handful that have had to close for a couple of weeks because half the staff was was yep. out. So we've got people, we've got a parasite or a virus, we've got a terminology, profit over people. And hey, when there's a drought, every drop of rain 
you capture. Well, and when you don't know when it's going to rain again, you capture every drop of rain. I think what has happened in, in many practices, in some practices, is that they have seen the spigot wide open and they're trying to capture as much rain as they possibly can to the detriment of the people who they have working for them on roller skates going in and out of the practice and the physical exhaustion and the mental exhaustion is not being relieved sufficiently because profit reigns over people in some situations. And, and I've heard these from staff members talking about their doctors unwilling to protect them by slowing down, refusing to take clients. Now, we have a two to three week wait right now to be seen for basic situations. And we have had emergency clinics close over the holidays. So there is some response to the pain points that are out there. But I think when you add a pandemic, PPE, people, and profits, it's all adding to the micro fractures that are there and creating larger and larger fissures. And, and as you noted, what went from a sidewalk crack to the Grand Canyon in a heartbeat. Right. Today's show is brought to you by Vetex International. Now, are people the major pain point in your practice? If so, you're not alone. Over 90% of managers report staff problems to be their number one issue. At the root of this problem are usually three dysfunctions. A poorly articulated vision, toxic culture, or some form of leadership breakdown. If this sounds familiar, then do not despair. Help is at hand. I encourage you to check out Leaders, a veterinary-specific leadership training program where you will learn how to create and execute on a shared vision, how to hire well, and build a powerful, high-performance practice culture without all the drama. The class is accredited, delivered online, and open for applications now. To learn more, listen to a free training webinar, or apply, visit vetexinternational.com forward slash leaders. Okay, welcome back to the show. I hope you enjoyed part one. Let's get into some more meaty content to help you grow your practice in part two. I see people worrying about marketing right now. And I think there is a glut of clients. The last thing in this world you need to do is worry about getting found. It's about getting found by the right people and, and being able to set up a system to say, no, you're not the right person. So actually, there's the first entry point into a conversation about systems then actually is also linked to the, the relieving of tension. Here's the premise. I think you've articulated it. People are scared to say no because they believe that they have to satisfy everybody. Maybe this is part of our perfectionist, pleasing tendency. Maybe it's a business belief that we just always have to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And maybe it's just a mindset of scarcity that we don't believe that more will come. But we're overrun. There's just no question. We're, we're absolutely overrun. Our positions are overrun. The enemy, and it's a bad analogy since clients are not the enemy, but we are defeated in this battlefield as it stands. How can practices or how should practices be more discerning? If ever there was a time to niche down, now was that moment for surely. How can we be more selective about who are the right clients to bring into practice? It's a great 
question, and it's one that should be part of this reimagined discussion going forward. I think that veterinary practices have routinely opened their doors to anybody who had a pet, and they'd work out negotiations and everything else after they came in. I really think that practices that have a vision, that have a mission, and have core values should use those vision, mission, core values, and standards of care to help define a client type that best fits into their practice. And I'm not suggesting we use price as a differentiator. Right. I think we should be using a system of values that we use from that standpoint. Maybe it's where the pet fits into the household. If it sleeps outside, maybe it's not going to meet the standard of care that we feel that all pets should have all of these different things. I think we would be better served doing a better job with fewer clients than trying to do too much with too many clients. But that law of scarcity, that fear factor of what if they stop coming in has driven us since we had reptilian brains, which isn't that long ago. I don't think we have to always necessarily control the number of clients. And you were talking about marketing before. I want to address that in just a second. I think that we just have to work on being more efficient. I mean, the fact that we go back and forth to communicate to clients from the exam room to the car, to the exam room to the car, to the exam room to the car, and the fact that we're standing outside collecting a history through a window, why wasn't that history collected the night before over the phone or the morning they come in before the over the phone or through an online survey and questionnaire that was there? Why aren't we video streaming from the exam room to the car? I mean, we want to use telemedicine. It's like that's the new buzzword and the, and the bright, shiny object that, oh, bird, 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 squirrel, 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 that veterinarians are chasing after. But why aren't we visually showing the client the experience that their pet is having while they're in the car and not having to go back and forth with the communication and sending a technician out to be the United Nations translator? I mean, honestly, there are some ways that we can streamline the inefficiencies that we have by using our team to do more. Here's a, a vision, okay, from a system standpoint. Mr. Nickel, I'm calling you Mr. Nickel because I'm pretending that you are not a veterinarian, but Mr. Nickel has a pet. Mr. Nickel wants to come in for a lameness problem. Kathy is Mr. Nickel's case manager. Kathy's job, once he sees Mr. Nickel on the appointment book or at the time the appointment is being made, is to go over a history with Mr. Nickel over on lameness-based questions that she's been pre-given and wellness-based questions that she's been pre-given. So it's essentially a checklist. And all of this information is gathered and, and put into the computer. On the day Mr. Nickel arrives, Kathy goes to the car in her PPE, her hazmat suit on her roller skates, and says, Mr. Nickel, has anything changed since we spoke prior to your appointment, which may have been last night, it may have been that morning, it could have been a week or so ago. And Mr. Nichols' response may be, the lameness has gotten worse. You enter that into the computer. And then Kathy's job prior to Mr. Nickel coming in is to explain to him what his experience will look like on the day of the visit. I can't tell you how many clients didn't know what to expect when they arrived at the veterinary hospital. And that only adds to the micro cracks that we're dealing with. So Kathy has already explained things. And Kathy says, you go ahead and, and get comfortable in your car plug in your Tesla, whatever you need to do. We're going to bring Scruffy in. Dr. Weinstein and I will be 
video conferencing with you. And because you're close enough to the hospital, you can tap into our Wi-Fi because we put an amplifier on it. So you can actually listen to the FaceTime conversation or the Zoom conversation as the doctor goes through the exam and describes what the findings are. And throughout this, it's a two-way conversation. Kathy's job is the same as Kathy would have had if Mr. Nickel was in the room, which is to put together an estimate. Uh, I'd love Kathy to be my scribe and type in the medical records that I'm, I'm finding, restrain the animal if necessary, fill any prescriptions, get any food that's necessary, et cetera. And once that estimate is put together, what about texting it to the car instead of having to go back out again or, or emailing it to the car because the client's got you know the Wi-Fi hookup. And so Kathy's job is one thing, is to be that case manager with Mr. Nichols. So if the pet needs radiographs, uh, I love the comment that is, don't do outpatient services in an inpatient setting, okay? Or don't do inpatient services in an outpatient setting. I got it backwards. So in this case, you send Mr. Nickel home and say, let's schedule you for a pickup. We'll go over the radiographs. I can go over them by when you're at home. And so all you have to do is come in and pick up your pet. Don't make Mr. Nichols sit there for an hour and a half while you try to schedule some radiographs. Send him home. If it's just well care, you take care of the well care, you reschedule the appointment, you take the payment over the phone, you take the payment with your uh, phone that you go outside with, you run the swipe with it. One client, one car, one pet, one nurse, one doctor. The doctor's got 10 minutes of time and can go to the next room. And now Mr. Nickel has a point person in Kathy who has answered all the questions and is the resource. Instead of having three, four, five different people who Mr. Nickel has, and let's just be honest, Dave, you remember the game of telephone when you were growing up? That's what happens at a veterinary hospital. We got five people doing the job of one. Mm. So I got off on a tangent, but that is a system that people can think through. I love it. There's bits and pieces inside of that that are always interesting to get deeper into. But are there exemplars out there? Are there are exemplars of people who have actually done are doing this very well, and it's working. And I think that's this is one of my one of my profoundest desires in my own career and in the work I'm doing in my own hospital is to find models of veterinary medicine that are working and to help them proliferate. And to do that by actually trying to adopt them and prove that they work as well. And and just play with things and innovate. That's the main reason I have a hospital now is very little to do with healthcare and, and very lot to do with vet care, vet team care. Um, but are there exemplars? And I'm not setting my hospital up as an exemplar there, by the way. <laughs> Work in progress. But what are the exemplar things out there? Who's doing this well? And it might not be in veterinary medicine. It might be outside of veterinary medicine as well. I think we've seen the restaurant industry have to change to adapt uh, with home delivery, whether it's a Grubhub or a DoorDash that we have here, or even Uber Eats. Mm. I think we've uh, seen restaurants build outside seating facilities and the parking structures to, to be able to maintain businesses. Even the hotel industry has accommodated. I remember staying at a hotel in North Carolina where the door was sealed, indicating that it had been thoroughly cleaned. Well, what did they stop doing? They stopped making up the room they stopped providing clean linen so they could actually short their staff a little bit until you checked out. So you're there for three days and instead of having your bed made in clean towels, you're in the room as a sealed environment 
where nobody else goes in. So in the hotel setting, they were actually able to shrink their staff and continue to do business, even though there were fewer uh, people staying there because their overhead dropped. But I, I think there are some other business models that have, have worked. Human healthcare is not one of them at the moment because they're so inundated with disease and pestilence. But I think what I'm talking about is something that, that really could be part of this reimagine situation because I can imagine us continuing to do curbside to a degree or a modified version of curbside. And let's 20 years ago when I was in practice, we used drop-offs all the time. Well, what's curbside but a drop-off where the client sits in the car, you know? And um, if a client wants to come in, we still could use the case manager. Instead of having a receptionist greeting a client who has a technician, put him in the room and the doctor comes in and then another technician greets them and a different receptionist checks them out. I mean, I think some of the technologies that have been integrated in terms of online pharmacy, home delivery of food, to a degree telemedicine, the online appointment book have all indicated that maybe the classic receptionist who is up front and who is an octopus in the average veterinary hospital. Yep. They've got so many tentacles doing so many things. No wonder they burn out and get fried and also end up making mistakes from a communication standpoint. I think we need to look at how we conduct our client experience and look at what a dentist does. One patient, one hygienist, one chair, doctor pops in, Hygienist finishes up, they walk you to the front, they make your appointment and you're out the door. I don't know of a model that's out, out there outside of your practice. And um, if you'd like to make an appointment with Dave to visit his practice, uh, you can reach him at drdavenickel at gmail.com. That's drdavenickel at gmail.com. He will be more than happy to put you up in his little studio apartment and uh, have you hang out at his hospital. So. You know, you're asking me to find a truffle. I need a pig to find a truffle <laughs> of a practice that's perfect um, that you're looking for. It doesn't exist, but we can get there. Right. There's so many other questions I have and so little time in this moment to ask them. Peter, I'm, the phrase that's stuck in my head uh, that's jumped out at me the most is sort of imagineering the practice of the future. I feel like we should expand this to another blunt dissection. Are you up for that? My pleasure. I think this reimagining is is really the direction we need to head. All right. Very good. So uh, that's it for this episode for today, folks. Thank you very much, Dr. Peter Weinstein. It went in a flash, far too short a time. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Dave Nickel. It is always a pleasure to see your smiling face. I wish we could be doing this over the counter at a bar oh. in San Diego like we did last time. And oh. uh, we will do that again soon. So you be safe and be sane. Well, be safe. I'll take one and uh, give your daughter a, a hug for me. That's a pass mark, 50%, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that wraps up today's episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, it would be most appreciated if you would leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends in veterinary medicine all about us. Until next time, from all of us here at VetX International, be safe. Be well.